Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. For this archive show, we're going into our vault and pulling out a show from July the 4th, 2014. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. for me to believe that two weeks has gone by since the last time we got together. It seems like I was just shooing you folks out the front door, and here you come back again. But I'm so glad you did. Welcome, everybody. Hi, this is Bob Bro, and welcome to Boomer Boulevard, the show where we listen to old-time radio programs that we remember from when we were kids, either on television or on the radio. Many of us listened to radio shows. Yes, we did. I can remember listening to Gunsmoke in my grandmother's living room. I can remember listening to uh, Fibber McGee and Molly on Saturday mornings on the radio as I would uh, drive in the car with my mom or dad. Uh, I remember quite a few old-time radio shows. I remember Monitor on Saturday mornings a lot. So those are the shows we play. We also share some stories and memories along the way. This is a show about baby boomers, but everybody's welcome. And the stories and the insights that we share, I think, are really universal in their theme. And uh, everybody gets a kick out of them. So we're so glad you came along. We have a good show lined up this week. We have an episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, and uh, this is one that features Howard McNear in the supporting cast. It's, uh, it's very well done. Of course, Norm MacDonald produced and directed it, so that says a lot, but it really, uh, really is a good, good show. It holds up. Then we have a very unique episode of The Jack Benny Show that originally was broadcast from New York City back in October of 1950. And it's unique for a couple of reasons, and we'll talk about that when the show comes up. And then we're going to finish things up with an episode of Gunsmoke I have never played on the air before. From, I think it's July of 1955, it's a a, uh, program that features Kitty. And I think that you're going to enjoy it. It's a little more on the comical side, although it certainly has serious undertones. So that's, that's our lineup for tonight. Glad to have you aboard. Come on in. Take a seat. Get comfortable. Get something to drink. Everything's going to get started in just a minute.
this week with a little radio noir, you said. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. This one was originally broadcast on CBS back on the 20th of June in 1950. One of the reasons I like this episode so much is it features Howard McNear in a supporting role. I loved Howard McNear, especially on the radio. I thought he was much better on radio than even he was on television. A lot of times he seemed too nervous and fidgety on TV, at least the characters I saw him play. But on radio, he was just perfect. And he's really good in this one tonight. The name of this episode is The Golden Cobra. I listened to it last night in preparation for the show, and there was a couple things I noticed in it that I wanted to comment on, but we'll, we'll do that on the other side. So here we go. From June of 1950, this is The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and The Golden Cobra. this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment, presents for your listening enjoyment Raymond Chandler's most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, the makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum are glad to bring you tonight's exciting story, The Gold Cobra. Get up while it's hot. Paid for seven race clothing walls. Hey, mister. Could you please help a blind man? Could you let me have a buck for my first square meal in a week? You mean your first shot in an hour, don't you, Jake? Huh? Oh, oh, Mr. Marlowe, hi. How are you? Sorry I didn't recognize you. Must be these dark cheaters. Yeah, must be. How's business, Jake? Oh, I seen better. You too, huh? Yeah, sure. Uh, you're just standing around here in front of your office for the fresh air, maybe. No, I... Oh, uh... oh no, don't tell me. That ain't it. I got it. Huh? You're making a rendezvous, a secret meeting, huh? <laughs> no, Jake, I'm just waiting for something. Holy catfish! Look at that jerk out in the middle of traffic. The guy with the suitcase. Getting out of that cab right in the middle of the street. Hey, he's coming this way. And he acts like the guy I'm waiting for, suitcase and all. Here, Jake, here's a starter on that meal. I'll see you. Goodbye. I got you. So long, Mr. Marlowe. Thanks a million. Sir, tell me quickly. You're Mr. Marlowe, Philip Marlowe? That's right. You're Roth Wingham? Correct. Mr. Marlowe, is your car nearby? Yeah, right over there. Sure. Good. 
Come, Mr. Barrow. We've got to get out of here. My very life may be in danger. And have you been seen with me, sir? Yours as well. Quickly, Mr. Barrow. We must be off. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this way, Mr. Winkham. My new client was right out of Charles Dickens. But I bit my lip and tried to play it straight. We piled into my car and took off. Mr. Winkham, his owl eyes glued to the rear window, watched and worried hard about whether we were being followed. But finally, he was convinced that we were safe. He relaxed his grip on the suitcase and fumbled for a cigarette. Roth Winkham was maybe 50 and had a large, bald head on a small, well-dressed body that just couldn't sit still. <laughs> also, it was at least three to one that the gentleman had ulcers. He was the type. Keep driving, please, Mr. Barlow, and do watch the rearview mirror. Uh, okay. Now, sir, what exactly did I say to you on the telephone? Well, you wanted me to fly to Chicago tonight with a suitcase that contained an item worth 20,000 bucks, which was earmarked for some museum, right? Oh, yes, the Asheville Museum. Yeah, and you said something about an eccentric here in L.A. who owned the item. That's about all I caught. That and the fact that you were very worried. And I still am. Now, first, Mr. Marlowe, a word about the man uh, who was First, finding... Mr. Winkham, a word or two about the item itself, huh? You know, I can't afford to play carrier pigeon without so much as a peak. It's too much like leading with my chin. Now, what is it? A gold cobra. Uh, a gold what? A cobra. A snake, sir. Made of 250 separate links, each some two inches in diameter and each solid gold. Links, huh? That makes the snake flexible like the real thing, is that it? Yeah, precisely. And the cobra's hood, Mr. Marto, is spun gold. Oh? Originally, the object was a ceremonial piece that comes from India, from a kingdom that no longer exists. Mordecai Ziff bought it there several years ago. Mordecai Ziff, huh? Yes. He's the eccentric who lives here in L.A.? Well, perhaps intellectual is more the proper term. Oh. He lives near here in the Hollywood Hills, and he is the one who is presenting the cobra to the museum. I see. Well, tell me, what's your connection, Mr. Wickham? I am a friend, Mr. Mallow. Mordecai and I studied together in Europe many years ago. Really? We have remained fast companions through the years. And now that his health is failing, he is a man of 60. I wish very strongly to repay his kindnesses. But I need your help to do it. Yeah, well, that brings us to the party following you. Who's that? A creature named Agbar, Mr. Agbar? Marlow. Yes. He's an East Indian, and he wants the cobra. Badly. That's all I know of him, except, sir, that he has no claim, morally or legally. He's merely a fanatic. Yeah, well, that's not to be sneered at. It's a full-time job. <laughs> Tell me, what does this Akbar look like? Well, he's thin, he's dark-skinned, dark hair, vicious cold eyes. You'll have to be on the other... Uh, Mr. Barlow, behind us, sir, that taxi cab. We're being followed to get... Drive, drive, sir! You see who it is? No, but it could be Akbar. Try to lose him. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. The Cobra's in the suitcase here, right? No. This suitcase is empty. Oh? Decoy. The gold cobra is in a similar bag that has been checked at the Peachwood Plaza Hotel. Turn again, Mr. Mallow. The cab is getting in. Right. Now, sir, this envelope contains the claim check for the bag, as well as your airline ticket to Chicago. Also, there's a $100 bill included. Oh. <laughs> and you'll get another one when we meet tomorrow night in Chicago. I'll look for you at the Dearborn Street Station at 8 o'clock. He's still with us, Mr. Mallow. Yeah, and that's a red light ahead. We can't slip through. Then it's time for me to go. And time for Agbar to follow me. Me and the empty bag. Good luck, Mr. Mallow. I'm counting on you, sir. By the time the light had changed, the spry Roth Winkham had already made it to the sidewalk. The empty suitcase conspicuously in hand. And when my rearview mirror showed the cab had given up the chase, I figured the quantity known as Agbar had taken the bait and followed Winkham. All of which made my next stop the check room at the Beachwood Plaza Hotel. 
Yes, sir. What'll it... Well, hello. Can I be of some assistance, maybe? I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but at the moment, I just want my suitcase. Here, honey, it's a black bag. A black bag? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Oh, here we are. Number four, five, eleven. Number four, five, eleven. Comes out even. Must mm. be yours, all right. Yeah, it must be. Thanks, baby. Here. Small talking to my pre... Oh. What's the matter, handsome? Your wife just waltz in? Uh, no wife. Just trouble. Goodbye, princess. My first glance at the man standing in the hotel entrance was almost enough. A lot of people could have jet black unruly hair on top of a flyweight build, but very few people had that kind of wild, sparkling eyes. They were reserved for fanatics named Akbar. When he spotted me and started coming in a hurry, it was time for me and the suitcase to head for the nearest exit. I took a side door just beyond the check room, and from there ran the length of the narrow, twisting corridor that led to the rear of the hotel and out to the alley where I parked my car. There I ducked behind a pile of trash cans, slipped my hand over the 38 in my shoulder holster, and waited. But after a full minute went by, I figured that it was safe to go to my car. And it would have been if the striking redhead crouched on the seat inside hadn't been holding an also-striking pistol. Just made for ladies. Don't bother getting in the car, Mr. Marlowe. In fact, don't do anything but hand over that suitcase. Here, on the seat. Uh, your mind's made up, huh? Definitely. And keep your hands at your sides. Now, let me have those keys you're holding. Come on, toss them here. Yeah. Now, turn around. Thank you. I'm glad you're cooperative. Don't mention it. It's your winning smile. Anything else? Yes. Walk in the direction you're facing. Go on. Walk it is, baby. But first tell me, who do I see for my car? Don't worry. It'll be returned safe and sound. Yeah? What about the suitcase? It's got all the clothes I have in it. Oh, sure. You look so fetching in gold cobra, don't you? Good night, Mr. Marlowe. The shock of fire-red hair gunned my car the length of the alley and then swerved on two wheels into the busy street beyond and was gone. I followed to the end of the alley and started walking toward the hotel. And I saw something else. It was Akbar running toward a hack stand. He had also seen my car disappear and that obviously meant that he wanted the first cab in line to take him someplace in a hurry. But the driver was waiting for a fare which forced him to the only other cab in line and almost gave me time to get to him. Almost, <clears throat> but not quite. That left only an outside chance that Akbar had tossed an address to the driver before he knew that the cab was taken. Yeah, but it was an outside chance that paid off. Yeah, sure he gave me an address, pal. You know, I had the flag down. I got an old doll inside. Yeah, yeah, listen, friend, this counts. What, what, what was that address? Come on, the right answer's worth ten to you. A saw? The same. Here, here. Oh, no. All right, what was it? Let me think, pal. Come now, on, hold come on, come on. I got it. Outpost Road, number 818, I think. Yeah, 818 Outpost Road. 818, Hollywood Hills, huh? Uh -huh. You, someone up there you know, pal? Yeah, it could be. Get moving. 818 Outpost Road. But pal, I already told I already you. heard you. There's another ten in it, and let's forget the old doll. Come on, bust a roll. <laughs> mansion there is 800 outposts, so this next job must be it. Oh, looks like the Taj Mahal joint. Yeah, that plus enough grounds to build a ballpark, grandstand included. I'll get out here, take the driveway on foot. Okay, pal, whatever you say. Hey, you want me to wait? Yeah, you better. 
No, no, I think I see my own car up there. Uh, here's the ten, thanks. Okay, pal. So long. Hey, give my love to the Roger, huh? Brother, what a backdrop for a harem. Fifty beautiful girls, fifty. Kindly stand just where you are. This rifle is loaded and the safety not on. It was hard to believe. At the top, a genuine African pith helmet, and under that, a pudgy, cherubic, smiling face with red roses for cheeks and dimples, an inch deep. And the rest fit, too. A round little body dressed in a cocky shirt, riding breeches and polished leather boots. Happy of the seven dwarfs and jungle get-up. But there the individualism ended, because like everybody else I'd met tonight, his interest was in the cobra, exclusively. Now, mister, whoever you are... Where is that snake? Have you tried the grass? I understand snakes love it. This is not the time to jest. There's nothing funny about that cobra. Not unless 20,000 bucks happen to tickle your funny bone. For the last time, where is the cobra? The truth. Okay, the truth. Frankly, my friend, I haven't the slightest idea. (coughs) Honest, I haven't. Happy folded up on one punch like it was built on hinges. I headed for the Taj Mahal on a run. But when I was past my car and had gone the slippery length of a tiled porch that led to a pair of half-open etched glass doors, I slowed to a walk at the sight of a single light that came from a beaded lamp in a room inside. Then I came to a full stop. The room was about the size of a basketball court with plush decor that was strictly Far East. An elderly man wearing a bright yellow satin robe and also bright yellow satin turban was stretched out. Glassy eyes staring at the ceiling. The front of his robe an ugly blood stain. Beside him was the lady with the red hair, and next to her the suitcase that wouldn't stay put. It was a good time for me and my 38 to announce ourselves. Well, this certainly outclasses the alley, doesn't it, Red? And now it's your turn to keep your hands at your sides. Well, what do you want here, Marlowe? you kill him? No. Oh, no, I didn't. Believe me, I didn't. I, I hated Mordecai as if, but I, I, I wouldn't do this. No, of course not. How could I even think of it? You only stick up people in alleys, steal cars, walk off with gold lucky pieces worth 20 grand or better, huh? Marlo, I didn't do this. My gun hasn't even been fired here. Look Don't be- try it, Red. I'll look when I'm ready. First, I want to make sure the gold cobra is still intact. Of course it is. I never let it out of my hand. We'll see. Stay right where you are, baby. Don't move. I can unlock this with one hand and cover you with the other. Okay. Now we'll know if the cobra's... Look, look out! Milo, it's real, a cobra! Steady, steady, Red, don't move! No! Oh, baby, you shouldn't have killed the lights. That makes the next move the cobra's... And my gun's worthless. We got one good look. A live cobra rearing up out of the suitcase, its hood distended, flicking its glossy, forked tongue, before the only lamp in the room shattered on the floor in a blue flash, and total darkness surged in. For an endless moment, there was silence, as soft and thick as black velvet. Then we heard it. The snake was moving. We listened to it crawl slowly out of the suitcase, ease itself across the table, and slither to the floor. Marlo, Marlo, it, it's coming. 
coming toward us. Stand still, baby. Freeze. Don't move a muscle. I... I can't do it, Marlo. It's our only chance. Do you hear me? No matter what happens, don't move. Marlo, I... Getting dizzy. I'm Hold afraid on. I'm going to pass. No, baby, oh, hang on, me. hang on, I tell you. Now, Red, listen to me, listen to me. Talk. Start talking, don't stop. But talk softly. I. I. Who are you, Red? Tell me. What's your real I, name? Tell me, tell me. I. Abby. Abigail Seaburn. All right, who killed Ziff, Abby? I. Who was it? Come on, answer me, answer me. Keep talking. I don't know, Marlowe. I. I told you the truth. Why did you come here to Ziff's place? He swindled my Aunt Marcel out of all her money before she died. Yeah, go ahead. Money that was supposed to come to me. Swindled her how? He, he, he was a mentalist. Yeah. A fake mind reader and fortune teller. He told her lies that made her keep giving him money until there was nothing left. Had a girl. Keep it up, baby. Keep it up. Why did you take that suitcase away from me at the hotel? Answer me, Abby. Think. I, come on. I spied on Ziff. I found out about the gold cobra. Yeah, go ahead. I knew if, if I once cut my hands on it, I could force Ziff to return the money he tricked my hand out. Keep talking. Oh, Marlo, I, I can't. I can't stand it that awful. Quiet, Snake. quiet. It... Listen. There's someone in here. Yeah. Who's there? Who is it? made it out the door. The cobra struck at him, Marlo. Sounded like it was clear across the room from us. Now look, Abby. Abby, stay where you are. Don't move. I'm going to see if I can find a light switch on the wall behind us. Stand real still, Abby. You hear anything? No. Oh, hurry, Marlo, please. Believe me, baby, I am. There ought to be a switch here someplace. There's got to be a switch. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Thank heaven's light again. Where's that cobra? I, I don't see it, Marlo. We'd better spot it. That thing's loaded with sudden death. But it's not here, I tell you. It's gone, my lord, it's gone. Yeah, I guess you're right, for the time being. But in case it comes back, you better keep that gun handy. Where are you going? After the guy who beat it through that door. Right now it pays to be ahead of the game. But not too far ahead, Abby, do you understand? Oh, yes. At this point, mister, I'll do anything you say. All right, then wait here for me. And keep your eyes open wide. This cobra's not the only killer loose in this joint. into a long passageway that offered as much chance to duck for cover as the inside of a loaded cannon barrel. And it was so narrow that if the cobra had found its way out there, it would be within kissing distance when we passed. The hair on my neck remained at rigid attention while I edged along the hall toward a dim light at the end that came from a heavily draped green waiting room. In the center, facing halfway from me, was Akbar a tousle-haired East Indian. His face was even grayer than before, and his hand trembled as he mopped his glistening forehead with a silk handkerchief. When I stepped in, he saw me from the corner of his eye. His face went stony. Only his right hand moved. It dived under his jacket for a weapon, but I brought my gun down hard on the point of his shoulder. His arm went limp, and a knife as wicked as the back end of a scorpion bounced across the floor. The dark... You'll pay for this interference. Not on the installment plan, Buster. We're going to settle up right now. How come the live cobra in the suitcase you're so anxious about? A fiendish trick. And in the dark, it almost caught you, didn't it? True, but fortune smiled and the cobra missed. Yeah, but fortune's a fickle lady, Buster. Come on, talk it up. Just what are you trying to promote? The return of this sacred gold cobra to its rightful place. The temple of my ancestors in India. 
the blasphemy perpetrated by Mordecai Ziff will end only in the restoration of the gold cobra. And I am prepared to do whatever I must do to accomplish this. Even to paying money for it. Or killing? Or killing. Death is transitory and therefore inconsequential. Well, the Homicide Bureau has other ideas, elephant boy. So maybe we better just... I hate to leave you alone, Akbar, but you're better off in the long run. I watched just long enough to see Akbar melt toward the floor. Then I ran back along the narrow corridor to where I'd left Abby. When I stepped in the door, I stopped cold. She was facing me from across the room, her eyes wide with fear, her mouth still twisted from a scream. Directly behind her was an opening in what should have been a blank wall, and inside it, staring out with fixed hypnotic eyes, was a coiled cobra. Only this one was solid, gleaming gold. I started toward Abby, but I stopped again because there was a gun in my back. That's quite far enough, Marlowe. Roth Winkham. What is this? You aren't going to like it, Marlowe, not one bit. Give me your gun. Give it to me. Get it yourself. I wanted to warn you, Marlowe, but he said he'd shoot me. He took my gun, too. Come on, Winkham, why the switch? Believe me, Marlowe, when I hired you tonight, I expected a much less bizarre ending to all this. I intended you to be peacefully on your way to Chicago by now, with the gold cobra safely in tow. Still just a favor for a friend, huh? Not exactly. That part was a small lie. Mordecai Ziff was my partner. Your partner? Yes, my dear. When we felt it was time to move east again, I decided to break away from Mordecai and keep the gold cobra for myself, alone. But I needed help. Because a fanatic named Akbar turned up who had his eye on the cobra, too? Get over into that empty corner, both of you. Go on, get over there. Move. T- take it easy. No tricks with the pottery, my You love. shoved him into Never mind. Leave that vase alone. Get back in the corner. So it was you who killed Ziff, huh? I hated him. For every one of a million indignities I've suffered at his hands... As soon as I was sure you'd picked up the gold cobra, I came back here, and I killed him. I just finished it when... When I got here. Yes, young lady. I didn't know about you, but I managed to get out of here before you blundered in with that empty suitcase. Empty suitcase? That's what you think. That's what I mean. There on the table, empty, as it has been from the outset. Just as empty as the decoy I used. Obviously, Mordecai suspected my intentions to steal the gold cobra, after all. It was a bit more than that, Winkham, honest. Oh, what a cozy pair of chums you and Ziff must have been. You really don't know what he put in that bag, do you? What are you talking about? Ziff had a surprise all set for you, Winkham. It was Marlo, a... look! The snake is coming out of that vase. Holy smoke, Winkham, there's a live cobra behind oh, you. I don't blame you. Listen to me, will you? Marlo. Oh, that's such an old stunt. Stay back. Marlo, it's... Winkham, coming. kill it, I tell you. It's right behind Stop you. Stop it! You're only wasting time. No, no, no. 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 I'm bitten. I'm bitten. Oh, no. He's out, and it's no help, baby. That thing's still between us and his gun. Get behind me. Get behind me. Back in the corner. Oh, Marlo, we're trapped. We can't get past it. Get Marlo. back, will you? Maybe I can throw my coat over hey. it long enough. Hey, anybody here? What's the matter? Oh, it's the jerk in the pith helmet. Hey, you! Over here! What in the world's going on, anyway? Get over here with that rifle, will you? Hurry! What's the meaning of all the... Bertie! Good heavens, my cobra! Kill it, will you? Shoot! Quiet. You're in a spot, folks. No fooling. She's got you within striking distance, so don't move. Just stand still. Very still. 
Come on, birdie. Birdie, now, now. Come on. Take a look at the end of the rifle, birdie. See the hole? That's it in the end. Fascinates you, doesn't it? Steady folks, don't move. Keep looking at the little hole in the rifle, birdie. That's right. Now back up. Back up. That's the way. Into the sack, birdie. Little more. Now pull your head in like a good girl. Ha! That does it. Now we've got you safe and sound in the sack. Oh. <sighs> Whoever you are, brother, you're a genius. Uh, Crumpler's the name, oldest Crumpler. Snakes are my business. The most amazing thing I've ever seen. Yes. The most amazing thing. Oh. Abby. Uh, Abby. Oh, oh, oh. Well, well, she's fainted. Well, what's wrong? Was she bitten? Uh, no, no. But I know what she means. Look, if you don't mind, Crumpler, I think I'll... I'll sit down myself. Right here. Well, when the police finally moved in, they gave the degenerate Taj Mahal a long once-over, and then we adjourned for more questions and answers to the hospital where Abby Seberg was getting a nerve back and Akbar was nursing the split scalp I'd given him. And while Otis Crumpler and I waited for the word downstairs in the coffee shop, Roth Winkham, my client, was busy dying of cobra venom in spite of Crumpler's best efforts. Well, that's the way it is with cobras, Mr. Marlowe. Sometimes there's just nothing you can do. Sugar? Uh, no, thanks, no. He had it coming, Otis. Oh, both of them did. Mordecai Ziff was a slimy sort, too. You know, he'd been snooping around my snake farm for several days. Oh? And then tonight, when Bertie turned up missing from her cage, I just knew that he was behind it some way. But I couldn't figure why anybody wanted to steal a cobra. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, vaguely. Phil? Phil, guess what? What? Oh, Abigail Seberg is well enough for coffee. <laughs> Sit down. Oh, it's better than that. The police think there's a good chance that Akbar will be able to buy the gold cobra and I will get the money. How do you like that? I like it fine. <laughs> Where are we going to spend it? Oh, well, I know a certain kind of snake bite remedy I'd like to try right oh. now. I think we deserve it, mister. It comes in bottles and they, they call it scotch. Oh, no, not whiskey. Oh, huh? oh not for snake bite. Oh, no. Oh. oh, that's the very worst thing you could do. You see, it stimulates the heart and makes the blood go faster. And that... And that, Mr. Crumpler, is exactly the idea. Come on, Phil. You know, there are many things that can lead to romance. Usually, it's moonlight. Sometimes, it's a bit of a song. Whoever heard of a snake playing Cupid? Yeah, well, there was a snake in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, but come to think of it, he kicked up quite a fuss. Bill? Hmm? What are you thinking? Uh, snakes. <laughs> what are you thinking? Apples. The 
Adventures of Philip Marlowe, presented by Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, bring you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and star, Gerald Moore. Philip Marlowe is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Howard McNear, Lynn Allen, Wilms Herbert, Lou Krugman, Bill Lally, and Michael Ann Barrett. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum hope you enjoyed tonight's adventure of Philip Marlowe and that you're enjoying Wrigley's Spearmint Gum every day. We invite you to be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I caught a killer on a lonely pelican's roost. It took a fist fight on the sidewalk, a flyway drummer with an ice pick in his back, and a vicious meeting on a yacht to do it. That plus the color of a girl's hair. This is Bob Stevenson speaking, and this is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, there you go. As originally heard on CBS back on June the 20th in 1950, that was The Adventures of Philip Marlowe starring Gerald Moore. And the name of that episode was The Gold Cobra. I had said The Golden Cobra. No, it was The Gold Cobra. I don't know what difference it makes, but uh, for those of you that are fissy fussy, I will make it right. It is The Gold Cobra. Also featured in the cast was, uh, of course, Howard McNear and Lou Krugman and Michael Ann Barrett. Boy, she's an enigma. I can't find almost anything on her, and yet she was in so many shows in the 50s radio shows, the L.A.-based radio shows. And yet she has very few credits in TV. She was in the original Dragnet for several series, and I know she was on the radio show a lot. She also was in the um, movie The Wrong Man, an Alfred Hitchcock film featuring uh, Henry Fonda. Ooh, what a movie that was. But uh, not much. I'm going to have to call Walden Hughes or Larry and John Gassman and find out. They probably know her. One of them probably, Larry probably has her living in his house, knowing him. They, they got to know all those, those great old radio people living out in Southern California and going to all those conventions. And, of course, they kind of got in on the hobby on the ground floor. So, anyway, that was just a good line. Also, uh, when Philip first uh, is describing the Howard McNear character, what was his name? Roth Winkum, I think it was. He, uh, he says, there, now there's a gentleman that three to get you one, he has an ulcer. And, you know, it's funny. I remember when I was a kid, ulcers, quote, unquote, were very, very common. Almost everybody you knew had a family member that had an ulcer. And remember how they used to drink milk? That was the big thing. Uh, per people with an ulcer, I remember, there's, there's a great episode of um, Johnny Dollar where the guy that Johnny's having dinner with has an ulcer and he can't eat anything. All he can do is drink milk. That was very common. I had an uncle with an ulcer. He always drank in the milk. And I think later on they found out that's not even good for an ulcer. But, you know, I thought to myself, are ulcers no longer existent? I don't know anybody that has an ulcer. I never hear people complaining of ulcers. Now, I do remember probably about the time Carol and I were first married that uh, Tagamet came out. 
and that was touted as an ulcer medication. So apparently it helped ulcers. And it was one of the best-selling medications for a long time. I think now people take it more for indigestion or heartburn. That's interesting. I looked it up, and, and ulcers still exist. Maybe they're easier to treat. And now they're saying that stress does not cause ulcers. They're caused by a bacteria. And it warned against taking too much aspirin or ibuprofen because for some reason that can introduce a bacteria into your system that can create an ulcer. So I guess people still have ulcers. They just don't talk about them like they used to. Maybe they don't cause the problems that they used to. But man, when I was a kid, I just remember it seemed like that was one of the rights of being an adult was uh, was having an ulcer. Hmm. If any of you have ulcers out there, let me know about it, would you? Seriously. I, I would uh, I would really like to know. Just send me a note at uh, bob at the oldtimeradioshow.com or bob at boomerboulevard.com. Either one of them will get to me. Okay, how about a little music? Sonny lives on a farm on a wide open space You could take off your shoes Give up the race You could lay down your head By sweet riverbed But Sonny always remembers What it was his mama said Oh Sonny don't go Daddy's a sailor who never comes home All these nights get so long And the silence goes on And I'm feeling so tired Not all that strong Sonny carries a boat Though he's barely a man There ain't all that to do Still he does what he can And he watches the sea From a room by the stairs And the waves keep on rolling They've done that for years and years Oh, Sonny, don't go away I am here all alone Your daddy's a sailor Who never comes home all these nights get so long The silence goes on And I'm feeling so tired Not all that strong Sonny's dreams can't be real they're just stories he's read They're just stars in his eyes They're just dreams in his head And he's hungry inside For the wide world outside And I know I can't hold him Though I tried and I tried and I tried Oh, son, it don't go away I am here all alone Daddy's a sailor who never comes home 
All these nights get so long The silence goes on And I'm feeling so tired Not all that strong Oh, son, it don't go away I am here all alone Your daddy's a sailor Who never comes home All these nights get so long Silence goes on and I'm feeling so tired Not all that strong name of that song is uh, Sonny's Dream by Ron Hines, Canadian singer. He sang a, a song we played back around Christmas time called uh, This House. I think the name of the song is I Love This House. And I got a lot of uh, nice comments about that song, how many people liked it. But anyway, the, he also wrote this one. And this one had, has been covered by many folk singers. A well-known song. I just love it. So I just thought I would play it. By the way, uh, while I have just a moment here, I just wrote a... I think, pretty interesting blog post that I put on boomerboulevard.com. And do any of you remember the game show Dotto? Dotto was kind of unique in that it was the first game show that got um, busted, as it were, for a scandal. This was back in 1958. And I actually um, put a television episode of uh, Dotto on the website. So if you go into, the old, uh, into boomerboulevard.com, you, you can actually watch this whole half an hour show. And it's a kinescope. Quality's not really great. You can hear it real well, but the pictures are kind of washed out. But, but you can see. And uh, it was during this show that the scandal broke out, although you can't see it on the show. It was happening backstage. But it's funny. I actually remember watching either that episode or another episode like it. Dotto was a show that fascinated me. Do you remember watching that show when you were a kid? They're, they had puzzles. Each of the contestants had a puzzle. And it was a series of dots. And it was uh, as they answered questions and got them right, they would have a certain number of dots connected. Remember the old connect the dots to form a picture puzzles that you used to get in puzzle books? Well, that's what this was. Well, it ended up that one of the contestants was being given the answers by the producers. And the reason why is she was a young, pretty co-ed. Although if you look at her, I, back then anyway, she looked kind of wild-eyed to me. But I, I guess there was no getting around that she was attractive. I used to think about that back when I was a kid. I thought, well, if it's their money, you know, I mean, why is it considered cheating? They can give it to whoever they want. But of course, the answer is if you're one of the other contestants, it's not very fair that you're playing and you're not playing in good faith, or at least they're not playing in good faith with you. Anyway, I give you the details. I give you my recollections because I do recall watching that episode, except I remembered it a different way, which that's kind of funny, but it's all there in the article. So go into boomerboulevard.com, and if you remember the Dotto scandal, or even if you don't, you'll find it very interesting. And I also uh, provided not only my own recollections, but also some background information. In fact, I reprinted a very unique uh, article by a guy that uh, was a kid back then that actually uh, went to a taping of a Dotto show 
in New York City back in 1958. There's also a very cool Etzel commercial in the middle of the video. So I just wanted to talk about that. BoomerBoulevard.com and just look for the article there, the post about Dotto. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, tonight. <laughs> oh, every time I hear that song, it makes me laugh. And I'm in the mood to laugh, so let's have the comedy corner. We are going to go back to October 29th, 1950, for a very unique episode of The Jack Benny Show. Why unique? Well, here's why. This show was originally broadcast one day after Jack Benny's very first television show premiered from New York City on October 28th, 1950. So the first half of this show, remember how The Benny Show always has two stories? The first half of this show deals with the morning before Jack's television show. So we're going back in time one day and talking about the cast getting ready for the show. And there's some funny bits in it. The second part of the show, or the second story, has to do with an interviewer coming to uh, interview Benny. And one of the questions he asks is, when and how did Benny first meet Ronald and Benita Coleman? So what we have next is a recollection of the first time Jack was invited or thought he was invited to the Coleman's house for dinner. Now, this follows almost exactly the same script from a show that was done in December of 1949, a show which, by the way, we played last March. It was entitled Dinner with the Coleman's. It's not a recording of that show. There's a few variations if you listen to them side by side. But it is uh, pretty much the same story that you heard right here on the show uh, back in March. Very interesting. Now, I'm curious if the Colemans happen to be in New York, if they traveled to New York for this, or uh, just exactly what the circumstances were. Maybe because they were in New York, Benny decided to use them because they were so popular. I don't know, and I can't find anything on it. So if anybody knows the backstory, it would be appreciated. All right, here we go. We're going back to October the 29th, 1950. This was originally broadcast over NBC, and the name of this episode is generally referred to as How Jack Met the Colemans. The Jack Benny Program, transcribed, presented by Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as most of you know, Jack did his first television program last night here in New York. So let's go back to yesterday, a few hours before his TV show and look in on Jack's room at the Acme Plaza Hotel, where Rochester is busy as usual. 
every time Mr. Benny comes to New York, he insists on staying here at the Acme Plaza. What a joint. No rugs, the ceiling leaks, and we're three floors underground. <laughs> but one nice thing about the boss, he never lets anything bother him. He's going to do his first television show in a couple of hours, and he's calmly taking a bath. Well, I better make sure that I have all of his clothes laid out for him. Let's see. I wonder if I ought to put suspenders on his pants. I better not. If he doesn't get any laughs, he may want to drop them. Mmm, <laughs> look what time it is. The boss better hurry up and finish his bath or... Oh, for heaven's sakes, look at this. Such forgetfulness. another one. Wait till I fasten my bathroom, a, a bathrobe, and I'll hike back to the room. <laughs> In that joint, you have to fasten the bathroom, too. <laughs> there, that does it. Have you got dinner ready, Rochester? Yes, sir. You put out my clothes like I told you to? Yes. Oh, Rochester, one other thing. I want to make an impression on the television audience tonight. So do you think I should wear that big pearl stud on my shirt front? Boss, I wouldn't give them nothing to aim at. <laughs> oh, stop. Now, Rochester, get me my makeup kit. I want you to make me up for the show. Okay. Come over here in the light. All right. Uh, sit down here. Now, first, uh, I think this is the way. First, put on a powder bit. Now, now, you better put some lipstick on me. A little more. More lipstick. Mmm, this lipstick tastes good. What did you make it out of, Rochester? Cold cream and ketchup. Oh. I call it Heinz number seven. Now, put some shadow under my eyes. Boss, I think you have too much rouge on. No, no, Rochester. In television, you have... I'll answer the door. Oh, excuse me. I have the wrong room. No, no. This is the right room. Get your hands off me, lady. I'll tell my mother. <laughs> Dennis, it's me, Jack Benny. I've got makeup on. Oh, well, that won't do any good. They're drafting women, too. Dennis, I'm wearing this makeup because I'm doing my television show tonight. Come on in. Gee, this is a lousy room. <coughs> Look, Dennis. Did you just have dinner? No, why? There's some mushrooms on the floor. <laughs> They're growing there. Rochester, instead of making up jokes, why don't you just... Come in. Hello, Jack. Hello, Dennis. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the Black Hole of Calcutta. Oh, quiet. Uh, Mary, what took you so long getting here? I forgot your room number, so I had to go up to the lobby again. 
Well, why did, why did that take so long? I had to sit for 20 minutes in the decompression chamber. <laughs> decompression chamber, decompression chamber. Some smart stuff. <laughs> Can't understand. This is my opening show and everybody comes in with jokes. No fruit. <laughs> I never saw anything like it. Mary, did you buy those things I asked you to? Yes, Jack. Here are the eyelashes. They're the longest ones I could get. Good. Did you get me a G-string? Mr. Benny, not on your first... It's for my violin! (laughs) Now, Mary... (laughs) Mary, give me... Give me the things you bought. Here you are, Jack. You owe me a dollar and 28 cents. A dollar 28? Now, you must have made a mistake. It couldn't be that much. I knew you'd get excited about it, so I wrote it down. Violin string, 70 cents. False eyelashes, 40 cents. And subway fare, 20 cents. That comes to a dollar thirty. Rochester, help me. Don't fight me. <laughs> but Miss Livingston said it came to a dollar twenty-eight, and it does come to a dollar thirty. <laughs> uh, that's all right, Mr. Rochester. Oh, that... Well... <laughs> While he's my valet, you can call him Rochester. (laughs) When you see him outside, you can call him Mr. Anderson. (laughs) That's all right, Rochester. Mr. Betty... If we ever get through with this show tonight, we're lucky. (laughs) Finish that line or won't get a laugh anymore anyway. All right, Rochester. Mr. Benny gave me an empty Coke bottle. I got two cents back on it. Oh, Mary, you're so funny. A pretty girl is like a melody. Dennis, stop dancing. And put down those eyelashes. They aren't fans. Now, if you feel like singing, do it right. Okay. That kid makes me so...
Now, Mary, do you think I look all right for the show? Yes, Jack, and don't be nervous. I'm sure you'll be a big hit. Gee, I, I hope so. I'm... Come in. Hello, Jack. Oh, it's you, Don. Well, come in as far as you can. <laughs> are you a little jittery about, uh, Don, are you a little jittery about our first television show tonight? Well, I was a little bit, Jack, but not now. I finally got a great idea for the commercial. For our television show? Yes. Come on in, Prince. <laughs> Don, what's this? Jack, I happen to get a hold of the only talking dog in the world. No. Imagine what a novelty that will be on the television. Yes, but Don... Jack, I know it's hard to believe, but this dog can do the whole Lucky Strike commercial. I can't believe it. Well, watch this. Come on, Prince. Come on, come on. Let's start the commercial. Come on. Did you hear that, Jack? He said, L.S., M.F.T., L.S., M.F.T. Don, he said, L.S., M.F.T.? Yes. Now, come on, Prince. Give him the rest of it. Don. Don. Dog, wait a minute. Don. What did he say then? He said, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy your cigarette. Enjoy truly fine tobacco that combines both perfect mildness and pleasant taste in one great cigarette, Lucky Strike. For only fine tobacco gives you both real mildness and rich taste. Don, he said that? Yes. The word mildness was indistinct. He lisps a little. I know, he got some on me. Well, Don, Don, I think that... What'd he say? 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 Don, Don, what'd he say then? That he last said, line. The last line. What'd he, say? he said, be happy, go lucky. Be happy, go lucky strike. He can't sing. Oh, oh. <laughs> Don, Don, that's Rinso White. He gets confused. He's got two shows. Don, truthfully, I don't think this talking dog will work out on television. Well, why not? Well, everybody will be able to see it's Mel Blanc. You know, I mean, his mustache gives him away. Well, I guess you're right. Well, come on, Mel, let's go. Look, come back and close the door. Stupid dog. Imagine Don coming in with an ideal. Oh, Jack. Yes, Mary. I helped Rochester select the clothes for you to wear on the show, so you better go in the other room and get dressed. Oh, oh, well, don't leave, Mary. I'll be dressed, and if it's that dog again, come in. Yes? Mr. Benny, I'm Irving Fine of the Associated Press. I wanted to get a story about your television show tonight. Oh, good, good. Uh, this is Miss Livingston. How do you do? How do you do? And this is Dennis Day. Welcome to the Black Hole of Dennis! <laughs> Dennis, please. Uh, sit down, Mr. Fine. Thank you. Now, Mr. Benny, I'd like to get some information about your first television show. Who are you going to have on it? Well, I'm having the Sportsman Quartet, Don Wilson, Rochester, Mr. Kitzel, Mel Blank. Stupid dog. Dennis. 
And our special guest star is Dinah Shore. Are Mr. and Mrs. Coleman going to be with you? Oh, Ronnie and Benita? No, no, they, they won't be on tonight. Oh, you call the Colemans by their first name. Uh, what do they call you? That's why they're not on tonight. <laughs> now, that's not true, Mary. They just couldn't make the trip. I borrowed their luggage. <laughs> oh. Uh, by the way, Mr. Benny, there's something that I've always been curious about. How did you ever meet the Colemans? You mean the, the very first time? Well, you see, they live next door to me, and... Oh, it's a long story. Go ahead. Tell him, Jack. No, no, no. I wouldn't want to bore him. I'd like to hear about it. I'll tell him. Mary, I wish you wouldn't. Oh, don't be so sensitive, Jack. Now, it's getting late. You go in the other room and get dressed. Oh, all right. Well, Mr. Fine, this is how Jack first met Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Happened about five years ago, shortly after Mr. Benny returned from England. I came over to Jack's house in Beverly Hills, and when he answered the door, he was wearing a tuxedo. Oh, hello, Mary. Come in. Jack, you're all dressed up. Where are you going? Oh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman invited me to dinner tonight. See, they live right next door. I know, but they've been living there for 12 years. It's strange that they should suddenly invite you. Well, uh, I have the invitation right here in my pocket, and I wish Rochester would be a little more careful with my mail. Fortunately, I found it lying out on the back porch. Mm, let me see it. Here. Here it is. Hmm. Dear Jack, glad to know you are back in America. Benita and I would love to have you for cocktails and dinner Sunday evening. We'll expect you around 8, Ronald Coleman. There you are. Oh, what does he mean, back in America? My trip, my trip to England this summer. Oh, oh, yes, but I still can't understand it. Never mind that. How do I look? Well, Jack, your tuxedo's awfully tight. It is now. What does a woman know about men's clothes? Rochester! Yes, boss? How does my tuxedo look? The jacket seems all right, but I wouldn't wear those pants. They're too tight. Well, I don't care. I'm going to wear them anyway. Okay, but if you bend over, there's going to be panic in the streets. <laughs> I'll be all right. You better get going, Jack. It's 8 o'clock. No, Mary, I think I'll be five minutes late. It'll make a better impression on the Colemans. I bet they're more nervous than I am. You know? Oh, Ronnie! Ronnie, where are you? Right here in the library, Benita. Ronnie, darling, shouldn't you be dressed? You know we're having a guest for dinner. A guest tonight? Who? You remember Jack. Jack Wellington from London. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, good old Wellington. Uh, then you mailed him that letter I wrote. Oh, dear, I couldn't find it anywhere. It must have blown out of the window. So I phoned him instead. He should be here any minute. Oh, splendid, splendid. Well, Ronnie, aren't you going to dress? Oh, no, no, darling, not, not for Wellington. This turtleneck sweater's all right. He, he likes informality. Oh, well, I won't bother either. Uh, darling, would you mind choosing the wine for dinner? Uh, yes, in a moment, darling. I, I just must uh, finish this letter to the Beverly Hills Chamber of Commerce. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, so... Much as I hate to complain again, I think every effort should be made to prevent Mr. Benny from commercializing this section. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie, you know those complaints never do any good. You've been writing them for 12 years. Yeah, but I can't sit by and do nothing. Besides, you know, they were helpful that time. 
uh, when I reported Benny was hanging his customer's laundry in our rose trellis. <laughs> that, that wasn't so serious. Not serious? Why, every time I wanted to pick a rose, I had to reach through Jimmy Stewart's underwear. <laughs> I get so mad every now, time I... Now, my dear, I... after all, Mr. Benny is our next-door neighbour. And last week, you yourself said he's acquiring a new sense of responsibility when you saw him installing a sprinkler system on his front lawn. Yes, I should have known he was up to something. What do you mean? Well, that sprinkler system has become the only 29-cent car wash in town. <laughs> Why, why, yesterday, I saw him standing down in the corner throwing mud at the passing car. <laughs> this man must be stopped. Where money is concerned, he's positively inhuman. Mm, I suppose you're right. Oh, I know I'm right. And those people he surrounds himself with. What a grotesque bunch of characters. <laughs> take, that, take that Phil Harris chap. Bill Harris? Yes, the way he comes up the sidewalk every morning. Yelling, okay, Jackson, don't be a mug. Harris is here, so bring out the jug. <laughs> what a remarkable fellow. Does he, does he have some connection with Mr. Benny's program? Yes, I understand he leads the orchestra. Oh, oh, he's a musician. No, no, he just leads the orchestra. <laughs> ah, but that, that young girl, Mary Livingston, now, she seems very nice. Yes. How she ever got mixed up with that bunch of schlemiels, I'll never know. <laughs> I beg your pardon, Mr. Coleman. Oh, yes, yes, Sherwood. Uh, Mr. Jack Wellington has arrived. Good, good. Come on, Ronnie. Jack, Jack. Wellington, old boy. Hello, Ronnie, Benita. So nice of you to have me over to dinner. I came direct from the tennis courts. I hope you don't mind my being in just slacks and a slipover. No, no, of course not. We hate formality. Uh, tell me, Benita, what are all those cars lined up in the driveway next door? <laughs> Jack Benny's house. He's running a car wash. Splendid. Just what I need. As I turned the corner, some bounder threw mud on my car. You see, Benita? Yes. But come now, Ronnie. Get behind the bar and mix us a cocktail. All right. I beg your pardon, Mr. Coleman. Uh, yes, Sherwood? Uh, there's a gentleman at the door, sir. Here's his card. His card? Hmm. Jack Benny, star of stage screen radio. And square dance caller. <laughs> Has own PA system. <laughs> well, Jack Benny here? What in the world can he possibly want? I don't know. Look, Sherwood, t tell him I'll call him later. We have a guest for dinner. But, Mr. Coleman, he said that you were expecting him for dinner. For dinner? Benita, did you invite Jack Benny for dinner? No, darling. Are you sure you didn't? Oh, I'm positive. I say, Ronnie, is this the eccentric chap you were telling me about who's on the wireless? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
his coming here is obviously a mistake, but we must make the best of an awkward situation. Uh, Sherwood, show Mr. Benny in, and then set another place for dinner. Very good, sir. Uh, follow me, Mr. Benny. Thank you. Well, well, hello, Ronnie, Benita. Um, uh, hello, Jack. Uh, come in. Yes, yes, come in. <laughs> we, um, we were just going to have a cocktail. Mr. Benny, this is our friend Jack Wellington. Oh, pleased to meet you, old chap. Well, I didn't expect anyone else to be here, but that's just like the Coleman's. Always room for one more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Ronnie. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, the, the cocktails are ready. Here we are. Benita, happy days. Wellington, your health. Uh, Benny, good luck. Whoops. <laughs> Too hard. <laughs> I'm sorry, I... I didn't mean to break the glass. Oh, and that set was 150 years old. Well, I'm certainly glad I didn't break any of your new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just sit here and read a magazine while you three go upstairs and dress. <laughs> no hurry, you know. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Jack, old boy. This is just an informal gathering. Oh, oh. Mr. Wellington, you're from England, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am, old fellow. Uh, tell me, Wellington, how are things over there? Well, it's been very exciting, especially with the election and all. Yes. Oh, I'd love to get away to England if my schedule would only permit it. But I'd like to be there in the spring. Oh, yes, Ronnie. At that time of the year, everything is so beautiful. Especially the Thames. Yes, the jolly old Thames. I always take them whenever my stomach's upset. <laughs> You know. Yes, sir. Yep. <laughs> you said it. Pardon me, but dinner is served. Uh, thank you, Sherwood. Yes. Come, gentlemen, let's go into the dining room. Okay. Ronnie, take my arm. Take your partner by the hand. Sashay right with an Alamey grand. Don't see do and oh pardon me. <laughs> The way you people are dressed through me for a minute. <laughs> Come along. Let's all have dinner. Benita, that certainly was a wonderful meal. Yes, sir. Well, it's getting kind of late. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize what time it was. Ah, yes, it is getting rather late. It's only nine o'clock. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yep. Time marches on. Yes, sir. Yep. <laughs> well, I guess I better be running along. Time for me to go home. Good night, Mr. Wellington. Very happy to have met you. Good night, old boy. And with my luck, we'll probably meet again. <laughs> Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, good night, uh, Benita and Ronnie. I had a lovely time. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome, I'm sure. Yes, we were happy to have you. Thank you. I'll show you to the door, Jack. Oh, thank you, thank you. 
Well, good night, Ronnie, old boy. I had a swell time. And say, I'm awfully sorry about Wellington. Wellington? What do you mean? Oh, I know you're loyal to your friends, but isn't it awful the way a guy like him can throw a damper on a party? You know, <laughs> you know Jack, there's a lot of truth in what you say. <laughs> you're telling me. <laughs> well, goodbye. I'm not out yet. <laughs> Pardon me. Well, good night, Ronnie. Good night. Yeah, da dee da dum, da dee da dum, da dum, da dee da dum. Gee, they're nice people, the Colemans. Da dum, da dee da dum. That Wellington seems to be a nice chap too. I can't understand him just dropping in uninvited. Oh well. Yeah, da dee da dum, da 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 dum. Jack, we'll be back in just a moment, but first, let's everybody be happy, go lucky. Be happy, go lucky, be happy, go lucky, strike, be happy, go lucky, go lucky, strike today. Good night, folks, we're a little late. episode was How Jack Met the Colmans, and that was originally broadcast one day after his television show premiered on October 28, 1950 in New York City, The Jack Benny Show. A couple notable things in that episode. Uh, that was a very funny little bit he had in the beginning with Mel Blank doing the talking dog, already setting up the difference between radio and television. I liked when the dog uh, sung the Rinso Blue, you know, Rinso Blue, Rinso Blue. The reference there, of course, was to the Amos and Andy show, which was sponsored by Rinso, uh, which is a Lever Brothers product from 1943 to 1950. Amos and Andy at that time were on CBS. They, too, had bounced back and forth between NBC and CBS. Uh, what else? Dennis Day. Um, I used to a lot of times cut some of his songs out of the Benny shows when I played them. Then I just thought, well, that's not right. So I, I quit doing that. But there's not a lot of songs that Dennis Day sang that I really care to listen to. The 1950s here were, was right at the end of the big band era. Rock and roll hadn't come on yet, and the uh, music was sort of the crooners, you know, the Frank Sinatras, the Bing Crosbys, the Rosemary Clooney's, the... Uh, early days of Johnny Mathis, uh, Andy Williams, that sort of thing. Music really was having sort of an identity crisis just then. It's, it's hard for me to imagine that people sat at home listening to the song like Dennis Day sang tonight and, said, oh, and thinking, oh, that's beautiful, or oh, I'm so glad Jack had him sing that. It's, well, I don't know. I, I don't really want to criticize something just because I don't like it, but I don't understand it. That's the point. I just don't understand how a song like that or how that type of music ever was so popular. I just can't imagine a lot of teenagers sitting around and swooning over it. More Jack Benny coming up. We have several episodes uh, queued up and ready to go that also involved Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume, and I think they were just 
the best together, just absolutely the best. So in some of the weeks to come, we're going to hear uh, several other episodes, ones that I have not played previously. Well, Chester informs me that we have a caller. It's a woman? Okay. Well, we always like to get uh, calls from our listeners, so let's uh, let's find out what's on this caller's mind. Hello, caller. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. Who am I talking to, please? Yes, Bob. This is Latrice Danella, and I'm calling you from Lemonster, Massachusetts. Well, I've been to Lemonster before. I, I know that part of the world. It's uh, very beautiful up there. Oh, yes. Well, yes. You know, they were one of the 13 original colonies. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful land up here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Latrice, uh, how long have you been in Lemonster? Well, we've been here all of our lives, and... Uh, Mr. Danella and I have a beautiful home here, just, just on the outskirts of, of the city limits here. Well, do you have any children? Well, yeah. Uh, uh, no. No, don't. Uh, we don't have any children. We weren't, uh, weren't blessed that way, I'm afraid. Okay, well, it sure is nice of you to call. What, what can I do for you? I was just wondering, Bob, if you've seen the, uh, the movie about the Jersey Boys, about Frankie Valli and the, and the Four Seasons. I have not. I have heard that the music is wonderful, and I have heard that the uh, stage play is wonderful. Uh, did you see it? Yes, I did. And uh, the reason I was calling is I was rather disturbed, you know. We got one of those large tubs of popcorn, you know. Uh, my goodness, crazy thing's $8 or some ridiculous amount like that. But, you know, you get the free refill. <laughs> I, I'm quite. I think it, they cost about the same here in in the St. Louis area. It's about eight bucks for one of those big tubs, right? Well, naturally, I went uh, after we finished the tub. We I went back back into the lobby to to get it refilled because there was no charge for the refill. Well, absolutely. I I I would have done the same thing. Yes. Well, while I was having my popcorn refilled and my large soda refilled, the Young man was very pleasant. He said, "Are he asked if I was enjoying the movie?" Okay. And I told him, "Oh, I was indeed. It was just so good." And then he asked me what movie I I was watching, and I told him it was the Jersey Boys, and I said it was all about the Four Seasons. Okay. Well, he said, "Bob, get this." He said, "I I'm just not familiar with the Four Seasons." Can you imagine that? Well, Latrice, uh, how old was he? Oh, I don't know, probably 20, 19 or 20 or so. Well, yeah, I understand your frustration. But on the other hand, uh, you probably don't know many of the musical groups he listens to either. It's just one of those generational things. Well, I suppose, but it certainly is sad, isn't it? Anyway, the reason I was calling was I was wondering if you could play my very favorite Four Seasons song. Well, I'd be happy to if I haven't. I think I have them all. Which which one is your favorite? I like Oh, What a Night. <laughs> oh, does that have any special significance to you? Well, you're a little dozy, aren't you, Bob? Yes, actually it does, but that shall remain between Mr. Danella and myself. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Latrice. It's no problem. All right. For Latrice Danella and Mr. Danella up there in Lemonster, Massachusetts, here is Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons singing the big hit tune from the early 70s, Oh, What a Night. 
About a year and a half, we lived in Peoria, and uh, that's where my wife was from. It's a long story how we got back there, but uh, I had a job that uh, I was selling grocery products, and I had a, oh, pretty much the north, north half of Illinois, and once a week, I had to drive up near Chicago, up to Joliet, Illinois, and I had stops along the way. One of them was in a town right on Interstate 80 called Morris, Illinois. And I used to always stay at a Holiday Inn there. Every, I think it was Wednesday night, I would be in that Holiday Inn. I only had to travel overnight, one night a week. So it wasn't too bad. But in this Holiday Inn, they had the lounge right next to the, the restaurant. And I would usually work late. When I'm on the road, I, I would work late because I didn't like to be alone that much. And so I would have dinner in the restaurant as the band would start in the lounge, usually like at 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. That's how late I would work. Well, you used to have the same group in there every, every week for probably a month or two. And I remember one time Carol came up with me and I told her, I said, you got to hear this group. And they were named after someplace in Kansas. I think it might have been Topeka. And they weren't, you know, they were kind of like a local band, a little better than most of your local bands, but they sang that song, Oh, What a Night, so well. And they would sing it every week, and I would always hear it while I was eating dinner. That was about the same time my first son was born, so that was 1976. So that's about the time that song was popular, maybe a year before. So that uh, that kind of just brings back a very fond memory of... Uh, 
about the time my first son was born. We were living there in Peoria. Then right after he was born, we moved back to California. Isn't it amazing? Every song will touch some chord in your memory, and that's what that one touches for me. and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. We have a good one tonight. One I have not played before on the air. It was originally broadcast on July the 30th in 1955, and it's entitled Tap Day for Kitty. John Meston wrote this one, and he is always playing games with the titles. Now, this show is obviously about Kitty tonight, this episode, but I don't quite get the reference to Tap Day for Kitty. So if you can enlighten me, please again send me a note. Send it to bob at boomerboulevard.com and uh, we'll try to figure out exactly what he's talking about. There's been other uh, titles he's written that I've done quite a bit of research on and found uh, exactly what it was he was trying to say, but I don't quite get it with this one, Tap Day for Kitty. This one features John Daner as his grizzled old man. In the name of this one, he's named Nick Colors. And toward the end of the show, Virginia Gregg makes an appearance and she plays a salty old gal, and they have played these same two characters with different names and on different circumstances, but basically the same voice patterns and the same characteristics of the characters in three or four different Gunsmoke episodes. And they're great. They are absolutely great together. It's funny, one time I played uh, an episode, it was entitled The Wake. And they played these same two old characters. And then side by side, I played an episode of Frontier Gentleman where uh, Daner played uh, the Frontier Gentleman. You know, he was the Englishman. And uh, Virginia Gregg played a rancher's wife. And she was very dignified, sounded young and sophisticated. And it was just amazing that it was the same two people 
playing opposite one another in two separate shows, and you would never even guess they were the same same actors. You, you just wouldn't have guessed it. This one also, again, features Michael and Barrett, just like we had in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Of course, both shows were directed, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Okay, enough talk. Let's get to it. Let's go back to July the 30th, 1955, and Tap Day for Kitty. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal, the first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Oh, Mr. Hightower, how are you this morning? Fine, fine, thank you. Hello, Matt. Well, hello, Kitty. What are you doing in here this time of day? Uh, just looking for a little shelter. What? <laughs> From his son. Oh. Yeah, I figure I can keep the peace in here as well as out there not heat. Well, you're that lazy. We better go sit down. Yeah, you know, that's a good idea. <laughs> oh, there's a table over there next to Olive and Kate. Oh, okay. Say, um, huh? who's the old man they're sitting with? Well, I don't know. He came in just before you did. Kitty, huh? <laughs> Kitty, you're missing all the fun. <laughs> I don't hear your friend laughing. Oh, he's crazy. Hello, Marshall. Hello, Olive. Kate. Marshall, sit down. Uh, no, no, thanks, Kate. Oh, We're come sit on, over. Marshall, Kitty. Uh, shall we, Kitty? Okay. Kitty, you got to hear this. What'd you say your name is, old man? I ain't so old. Uh, my name is Nip Colors. Nip Colors? <laughs> I, ain't a, I, I ain't a day over 60. Or a day under. <laughs> Tell me, how come you never been to Dodge before? Well, I only just bought me a ranch down on Crooked Creek. What's that got to do with it? I ain't never been in Kansas before. I made my money mining out in Arizona. I'm, I'm rich now. My ma died. You mean your wife. No, no. Ma, my, my mama. 
Mom, when she was real old, you kind of crippled up, but she died, and now I can get married. You mean that a man your age has never been married? I was, but she died a long time ago. You have any kids? Some, but they all run off soon as they got big enough. <laughs> now, this is kind of sad, Matt. Yeah. So you come to Dodge looking for a wife, huh? Yeah, I'm going to find me one, too. What makes you think you're going to find one here? Well, there's women here. I figured I'd look them over. And take your pick. How else? Listen, there isn't enough gold in the world to get me to marry an old, ugly coot like you. Me either. You're about as romantic as a turkey buzzard. (laughs) (laughs) Why, I've seen water dogs I'd sooner cuddle. (laughs) I wouldn't get any closer to you than I am now to save me from hanging. Olive, that's me. Well, look at him. He can't help it. I mean, you don't have to talk to him like that. He's an old fool. He isn't doing you any harm, Kate. No, no. I don't mean to do no harm. But I gotta find a wife. You don't need a wife. You need a bell around your neck and one leg tied up. I've had enough of this. No kidding. I'll handle this. Olive, you and Kate get out of here and leave him alone. What? You heard me. Get out, both of you. Since when did you start running things around here? You ever see me fight? Kitty, will you take it easy? You girls will look like scarecrows when I'm done with you. You're first, Olive. Get up. Look, I I don't want any trouble with you, Kitty. Then get away from this table. I'm I'm going. You too, Kate. Sure. We don't want to talk to him anyway. You got to excuse him, mister. They learn all that talk from the cowboys and such that come in here. Uh, They said that your name is Kitty? Yeah, that's right. You're very nice, Kitty. Oh, sometimes a woman can handle women better than a man can. You're pretty, too. Yeah. Well, you better stay out of here, Nip. Go look for a wife someplace else. Well, I I don't have to. What? Not now. I found one. You have? You. Me? Sure. I didn't want either of them to. I was just looking them over, but I like you fine. You make a good wife. Now, look, Nip, don't you go getting any ideas. It's okay, Kitty. I'll take care of everything. I'll be back in a few days. Well, wait, I... We'll get married then. Matt? (laughs) Oh, well, well, Kitty, and it looks like you got yourself into something, doesn't it? Try to be nice to somebody. Try to do a good deed. See what happens. Oh, well, I I wouldn't worry about it. Maybe maybe you'll forget about it. You think so? No. Well, what am I going to do? Why don't you marry him, Kitty? You ever see me fight? <laughs> no, Kitty.
Well, the stage come in, Mr. Dillon. Oh? Now, didn't you think it would, Chester? Oh, yes, sir. Sure, I I knew it would. It was awful late, though. Oh, was it? Huh. Yes, sir, it was late. Oh, well, well, why? Well, I declare I don't know. I I didn't bother to ask. Oh, oh I see, I see. Uh, well, what else is new, Chester? Well, sir, nothing I know of. You know, Chester, you ought to stay in the office more and keep out of the sun. Oh, well, the sun's already went down, Mr. Dillon. Well, now, that's something new. I hadn't noticed that. Well, yes, sir, you're right. It has. Well, yes, sir, it sure has. <laughs> Matt. Oh, hello, Kitty. Come on in. Even Miss Kitty. Chester. Matt, you gotta do something. What? Well, what's the trouble? That Nip Colors is back. I'd say I want to get a look at him. Yeah, well, you will, Chester. He's back already, huh? It's been three days, and he's sure been busy. Well, what do you mean? Well, first he's gone and bought a lot of new clothes. Got himself all dooted up. Well, he needed it. Well, that's not the point. They're wedding clothes. Oh? He came into the Long Branch wearing them. He's over there now buying drinks for the house. Celebrating. I nearly died of shame, Matt. Everybody laughing at him and at me. I left. I got out. Well, that's funny, Kitty. I, I'd have thought you'd have got mad or laughed it off yourself. Matt, he's serious. I don't know how to stop him. And what's more, I am mad now. That's why I came here. Oh. I ran into the preacher on the street. And you know what he said? He's real pleased he's going to marry me and nip colors tomorrow. That old fool's gone and set up a wedding. Oh, my goodness. It's got to oh. stop. It's got to stop, Matt. You've got to help me. Well, Kitty, please. I... Please, Matt. <sighs> oh, sure, Kitty. Of course I will. Uh, I'll go over there now and see what I can do. Well, I'm going with you. Well, you don't have to, Kitty. I want to. Talking to Olive. Yeah. Now maybe he's changed his mind. I doubt it. Now look at that beaver hat. <laughs> he must be rich. Matt, he's crazy. He's awful crazy. Oh. Easy now, Kitty. It's gonna be all right. Hey, Kitty. Oh no, Kitty. Hey, shut up some drinks, bartender. Uh, Sam. No, never mind. Oh, well, what? Oh, you're the marshal, ain't you? Yeah, that's right. You come to the wedding, too, marshal. Uh, everybody's invited. Yeah, I'm going. I wouldn't miss it for nothing. You'll miss the next two days if you don't shut up, Olive. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, uh, Colors, Kitty says that she doesn't want to marry you. Yeah, she told me that, too. Do you know how women are, Marshal? Kind of bashful-like. <laughs> Kitty isn't a bashful woman, Colors. She doesn't want to marry you. Now, can't you understand that? Major, she can't back out now. Oh, for mercy's sake. It's no use talking to her, I Matt. better have me wife, and I decided on her. That's how it's going to be. 
And I'm coming by for her noon tomorrow, and we're going to get churched. You come by at noon tomorrow or any other time, and I'm going to be waiting with a shotgun to blow your head off, and I mean it. I think she does. Well, now, uh, that ain't no way to talk, Kitty. All right, colors, the talking's over. What? You get out of town or I'm going to lock you up. You go... Lock me up? In jail, and you'll stay there till you're ready to quit bothering people. Well, now, whoever heard of going to jail for wanting to get married? You see? I'm not going to argue with you, colors. Now you take your choice right now. You're the meanest marshal I ever met. I, I, I just ain't going to jail. All right, fellas, come on. No, let me go now. I'll leave. I don't want to go to jail. All right, then get out. Well, I'm going. But I'll be back, Kitty. You'll see. And I'll be waiting with a shotgun. Oh, oh Kitty. Oh. Well, <laughs> you let me know if he does come back, huh, Kitty? You'll know. Thanks, Matt. <sighs> yeah, sure. It was a good dinner, though. <laughs> turkey and chocolate sauce. Well, can you imagine that? Turkey and chocolate. Doc. <laughs> yeah, uh huh? Hey, Doc. What? Over here. Oh. <laughs> I didn't see you standing there, Matt. Well, I don't like standing in the light very much. Oh, no, I don't blame you. Well, where you been, on a call? No, I had a late supper. I was busy until, oh, after 10 o'clock tonight. No. I was over at Delmonico's? No, I wasn't. I went to that new Mexican place. I had some of their turkey and chocolate sauce. <laughs> Say, you tried that? Yeah, it's good, too. Yes, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'll turn in now. Okay. Wait a minute, Doc. Why, it's Chester. Mr. Dillon, you better come, too, Doc. Oh, what's the trouble, Chester? Out back the stable. Old Nip Colors, he's been shot. What? Yes, sir. With a shotgun. <laughs> Oh, now, take it easy. Well, it, it hurts. Oh, well, Doc, how does he look? Oh, he looks like a Virginia ham just sprinkled with cloves. Well, now, that's no way for a doctor to talk. I've been shot. It isn't my talk you should be worrying about. It's whether I can dig all those pellets out. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's going to be quite a task. Yes, sir, it's going to be quite a task. Well, why don't you get started? Before I die, die. Oh, be quiet. You better get him up to my office, man. I'll need better light than that lantern of Chester's. Thing. Well, one lantern's all I can get, Doc. You know, I ain't in the habit of carrying more than a half dozen around with me. Never mind, Chester. Excuse me, Doc. Would you let me get on there, please? Oh, yes. Colors, what happened? Who shot you? 
You got gall asking a dying man foolish questions. Doc doesn't think you're gonna die, Colors. Now tell me, did you hear or see anybody? Uh, how could I see who shot me in the back? I mean before that or, or after that. I didn't care. After. I just lay here hoping they wouldn't pepper me again. And before it happened? I didn't see nobody. But I can tell you who it was. You heard her. Kitty. He said she was going to shoot me with a shotgun, too. Now, wait a minute. She said she'd shoot you if you came back bothering her, but that would just talk. Kitty wouldn't shoot anybody. No. Look at my back. Where'd the shot come from, Colors? Out there, by the water trough. Chester. Yes, sir? Bring that lantern, will you? Let's see what we can find over there. What do you mean you're going to leave us here in the dark? Well, it'll rest your eyes, Doc. You're going to need them. Come on, Chester. Ow. Find way to shoot the dying man. Hey, what if they're still around, Mr. Dillon? Won't they take a shot at us? It's not us they're after, Chester. Here, hold that lantern down by the ground here where it's muddy, will you? Okay. Wait a minute. Hmm? No, back here, Chester. There. Look at that. Well, I do declare, Mr. Dillon, them is woman footprints. Yeah. Kitty. Come on in, Kitty. What's this all about, Matt? Chester won't tell me a thing. Well, sit on and I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Must be serious to have me dragged away from work at midnight. Yes, it, it is, Kitty. It hasn't got something to do with old nipped colors again, has it? Have you heard anything? No. Well, what, Matt? He got shot. Got shot? About a half hour ago by a woman. She used a shotgun. You're thinking I did. Well, you were talking about doing it, weren't you? I sure was. And you know something else? I went out to get some air about an hour ago. I took a walk. Alone. And I got back just before Chester came in. I don't even have an alibi. Yeah. So, as soon as the word gets around, there are going to be a lot of people thinking you did it. Sure. Olive was there, too. She heard you threaten him. Uh, she'll be real pleased to testify against me. Yeah. Kitty, uh... Might be easier for you if you... Laid low till I find out who did this, huh? How do you know I didn't? Well, I don't know. Not that way. Not so as I could prove it legally. All right, Matt. I'll lay low. Mr. Dillon. Yeah, what is it, Chester? Somebody just went upstairs to dock. So? I seen her out the window here. Her? Yes, sir. It was some old woman. And she seemed like she was in an awful hurry. 
Hello. Where is he? Are you looking for Doc? They told me he was here. The man at the stable did. It said the doctor brought him here. You mean Nip Colors? Where is he? Oh, Doc's working on him in the back room there. He got shot. I know he got shot. Here, now, wait a minute. Oh. You're the marshal, ain't you? Who is she, ma'am? Oh, we'd all like to know that. Who are you, ma'am? I'm Nettie Beecher. Now, let me go, Marshal. I've got to see him. He's not going to die. You sure? Well, I thought maybe you'd come to finish him off. No, I come to see him and tell him I'm sorry. I got mad when I said he was going to get married. Oh? Well, were you engaged to him or something? Well, I thought I was. I've been with him 20 years, cleaning his house, cooking his food, raising his kids, nursing his old crippled ma... All them years, he kept saying he'd get married again when his ma died. You thought he meant you? Well, who else would have him? Him and his crazy ways. Well, I didn't believe it when he said some girl here was going to marry him. I didn't believe a word of it. Nettie, I'm the girl he was talking about. No, well, I'm right, ain't I? A girl like you marrying him? I told him no. If you didn't believe it, why did you shoot him? Oh, I didn't aim to kill him. I only wanted to hurt him some. But Why? Because he never looked at me. Twenty years and he never once looked at me. But I'm sorry now. And that's why I'll come here. What's going on in here? I will tell you later, Doc. Right now, this lady would like to see colors. Can she come in? Well, does she have to? Yeah, she has to. All right, but you come with her. I don't want any trouble in there. There he is, lady. Mr. Colors? Nip? Well, what in tarnation are you doing here? Well, I'm sorry I've done it. Well, you done it? It is me. You shot me? Made me mad you're going off trying to marry some other woman. It made you mad? Why? After 20 years waiting, you ask me that? What? You've been waiting for me? Ever since I come to work for you, after your wife died. Why, you never told me that, Nettie. Ain't for a woman to speak up. Well, you sure never did. Till tonight. Oh, you sure spoke up tonight. There comes a time when a woman has to, Nip. Hold your tongue for 20 years and then blow me up with a shotgun? Well, you're quite a woman, Nettie. It's funny. I never noticed that. You ain't looked at me in 20 years. I'm looking at you now. Uh, Doc. Yes? There isn't going to be any trouble. No. Come on. Well, what happened? Oh, they're talking, Kitty. Well, of course they're talking. What about? <laughs> well, let's say that you just lost yourself a bridegroom. <sighs> well, I can't say I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know something, Ma? What? I lost him to a pretty good woman.
Gunsmoke. Produced and directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Michael Ann Barrett, and Virginia Gregg. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Remember, listen again next week for another transcribed story of the Western Frontier. It's America growing west in the 1870s. It's Gunsmoke, brought to you by L&M Filters. Harley Bear, Georgia Ellis, and Howard McNear in Gunsmoke. And that one featured John Daner as Nick Colors, a really colorful old character, and Virginia Gregg as his new wife-to-be on an episode entitled Tap Day for Kitty, as originally broadcast back on July the 30th in 1955. And we will have another episode of Gunsmoke coming up next week. folks for this time so let's take all of our shows and put them back in the vault See you again in two weeks, and we'll do it all over again, so 
don't despair. Bob has got much more, many more shows in the vault and tricks up his sleeve that he's going to pull out for next time. So come back in two weeks and we're going to do it all over again. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by and I am so glad you met.